Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we are exploring some big picture stats that paint the picture of the Knicks season so far. Yeah, six stats through six games so far. Talk about the starters versus the bench yet again, and some RJ efficiency concerns. Then we'll talk about the Knicks pace and how they're getting some cardio in so far this season and finish up talking about Julius Randle and the Knicks turnover percentage all next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Knicks your first listen today and every day. If you didn't know, you should, but some of you are new here. Uh, we are now on YouTube, so go check us out on YouTube. Throw a subscription, like, comment. Uh, some of the people who comment on our YouTube videos are insane, so you can you can interact with those people. Uh, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw. I'm a play-by-play broadcaster. Uh, he is Alex Wolf. He's editor-in-chief of the Knicks site, The Strickland, the greatest website in the uh, wow, I, I really, I'm taking you up a level, Alex. I always say greatest next website. This time I'm just going greatest website uh, in the whole wide world. Uh, you can check them out at the strict.land on all forms of social media. Uh, so we're going over some big stats today. So Alex, I'll, I'll just, I'll throw you one of mine and I'll let you react to it. Um, the core bench lineup this year of Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, Cam Reddish, Obi Toppin, and Isaiah Hartenstein has a 57.1 effective field goal percentage um, as a lineup. Um, amongst lineups that have played at least 100 minutes this year, they're in the 70th percentile um, in terms of that statistic. So essentially in terms of their overall efficiency, while the starting lineup has a collective effective field goal percentage of just 51%, that is only good for the 20th percentile um, of all teams, of all lineups rather. Yeah, I mean, that's not great. Um, and, you know, I think that that kind of passes the eye test. Uh as good as the starters have been relatively this year, like I actually, I don't think they're nearly as big of a negative as they've been in previous years. Yeah, at least so they're, as... they're minus two per hundred possessions while the bench is plus two per hundred possessions. This yeah. is essentially like a little, a little over and under, but yeah. which is not bad considering last year, the starters were like minus 15 per hundred possessions. So, you know, improvement, baby steps, baby steps. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what quite to chalk that up to other than just missing shots right now, right? Like, we'll get into it in a second, but obviously R.J. Barrett's efficiency has not been fantastic. Julius Randle's efficiency lately has not been fantastic, even if his overall play style has been has been very good. Uh, even Brunson, it feels like, isn't quite as efficient as you might think he would be. What the solution is, to, well, and then also to it, it doesn't help that you're like number one efficiency monster on the team. Mitchell Robinson has been having a hard time staying on the floor so far to start the year, kind of uncharacteristically given how he played previously, uh, like dating back to last year and, and during preseason this year. So I don't know. I All this stuff that we're going to get into in this episode comes with the caveat of small sample sizes, but I think that this kind of just is one of those things 
where it's going to bear watching because as with previous years with the Knicks, you know, this goes back to every single year that Tibbs has been coach. First year you had something not working in the starting lineup with Alfred Payton, and it took literally until the playoffs for him to fix it in the first game of the playoffs and say, oh, maybe we should start someone different. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, maybe that would have been a better decision to kind of get coalesced before the playoffs. Uh, but then, you know, there's there's like last year with the Kemba Walker lineup that Tibbs did bench Kemba, but then thanks to COVID kind of running roughshod on the Knicks, Kemba had to come back. And of course we see that lineup still get another like 15, 20 games of run that it didn't deserve at all because it was, you know, just not a good lineup that was, you know, getting outscored by 15 points per hundred possessions. Uh, and so, you know, then also the Burks thing where it was like, to most people, it didn't seem like the Burks experiment at point guard was really working that well. And yet Tibbs refused to try something different with Emmanuel quickly. So if this trend continues and the starting lineup is still, you know, even with a Jalen Brunson, which should in theory propel them to being a positive is still a negative. Does Tibbs try something different uh, as far as the starting lineup to kind of shake things up, whether that's, you know, uh, moving Emmanuel quickly to the starting lineup, whether that's moving Quentin Grimes to the starting lineup when he's healthy. Honestly, I, I wouldn't even hate the idea of moving Cam Reddish to the starting lineup for Evan Fournier, just for a little different defensive look and, and a different skill set and to let Fournier kind of cook off the bench. I guess we'll see as time goes on, but it definitely is worth monitoring the whole starters versus bench thing, because that's literally been the story for three straight years now. And it looks like this year is not going to be too different. Yeah, I think there, there's a couple of different factors. Um, one of them, which you're going to get into in, in a second, is it's, it's as simple as R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle hitting threes at, at career rates. And obviously, neither of them um, historically are, are great three-point shooters. But R.J. certainly, uh, I mean, for a guy to start a four for 28 this year, he's he's better than that, generally. Uh, Julius is only shooting 24% from three-point range, even, even uh, pre- um, his Knicks days, uh, when he was mostly under 30% he, or around 30%, he was still a bit better than that. So I think you can expect those numbers to rebound a little bit. I think Quentin Grimes coming back to your point will make a big difference, even 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 for the bench unit, if we're just talking collective efficiency. Because that, that, that to me is the crazy part about this is outside of Obi Toppin, I would probably project Grimes to be the most efficient scorer on the bench. And he's not even there yet. And the bench is still... 70th percentile um, without that, which is why preseason I was saying I think the bench could blow people away. Um, but just with the starters, I, I think if if you hit your threes and also the big thing to me is I think Jalen Brunson is still acclimating to being an alpha dog and, and being the guy who like, yeah, we, we want you to go out and try and get 30 points every single night. And I know it's not quite to those extremes, but it, it's just very, very different than the role he's played for most of his career. And I, I think it could take till – the midway point of this season that he's completely comfortable with that level of aggressiveness. But Alex, I, I just noted it. I, I think at, at the core of all this, um, the fact that RJ Barrett is nominally the Knicks alpha dog early this season, and he's been one of the least efficient players in the NBA is, is probably the single biggest variable here. Yeah. And he actually so far has had the lowest usage between himself, Brunson and Randall, but that probably has to do with how much distributing Brunson and Randall are doing. But yeah, I mean, certainly one of the highest usage players on the team. And 
not great numbers so far for RJ Barrett. So I pulled some of his efficiency numbers. And again, this all comes with the caveat of small sample size, but it's also, I mean, this is another thing that's been a trend for RJ in his career, starting seasons off slow. Uh, you got to hope that he can get out of this hole faster than in previous years. But so far through six games, he's at 43.4% effective field goal percentage that for anybody uninitiated takes into account um, twos versus threes. And the fact that threes are worth more than a two to give you a little more accurate of a field goal percentage number. So it's 43.4%. That puts him in the 11th percentile among wings. That is not great. Uh, he is at 47.8% on twos, though, which puts him in the 46th percentile, which is easily his best mark as a pro, which is good. Uh, but then 22.6% on threes, which puts him in the 7th percentile among wings, which is really not good. Um, I will say I do think there are some silver linings in the early season returns for RJ uh, and how he's shooting. His two-point percentage and free throw percentage, which is at 79.2%, are both on the rise. And his shooting at the rim, he's currently at 60%, which is in the 49th percentile among among wings, which I think is especially good because wings, traditionally, you know, the best ones are quite good at finishing at the rim. You know, it's kind of like a staple. So the fact that he's almost at average among wings uh, for shooting at the rim, I think bodes well, considering that's been something that he's really struggled with. So I really think if the threes come around, he could be okay. But like, that's been the weird part so far early in the season. The threes have just been bizarrely bad. Like I, I think anecdotally, I didn't go back and look at every attempt he's taken so far this year, but I feel like most of them have been open and it, it, most of them, I actually, I don't think that he has had, I did see that on cleaning glass. He has not had a single three that he's made so far this year that they didn't consider to be assisted though. There was that one in the last game that I think maybe the step could, back. Yeah. yeah. There was a step back. You can maybe argue that was a little bit self-created, but you know, it he's mostly just been taking spot up looks and not been hitting them, but he did shoot 50% from three in preseason on six attempts per game. So uh, there are some things that bode well there. Um, Gavin, you also noted, you know, a couple, a couple other quick things here. He averaged 8.2 free throws per game post-All-Star break last year. This season so far, he's only at 5.3. You would hope to see that number go up as well, especially with that improved um, free throw percentage. Then uh, his true shooting percentage will go up then too, which true shooting also takes into account free throws as part of the equation. So that could be useful if he starts getting into the line more. And you also pulled a more concerning stat about his his overall efficiency relative to his peers, which I'll let you introduce real quick. Well, you know what, Alex, before we do that, um, people people need jobs. Even, even people who listen to Locked On Knicks need jobs. And uh, a lot of people also need to hire, but you, you got to find a place out there that puts those two groups together. Now, where, where, where would people go for that? Oh, well, that is, of course, LinkedIn jobs. These days, every New potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs help you find the right people for your team faster and for free. And look, I'm not in a position to be posting jobs on LinkedIn Jobs myself. I wish I was in that high of stature anywhere in life, but I'm not. But uh, I will say... As a job seeker, LinkedIn Jobs consistently shows me the best listings 
many that I wouldn't even consider had they not been put in front of me by LinkedIn jobs. And it has led me to some really great opportunities in the past. And so as a job seeker, it's my favorite site to use as a job poster. I would imagine it should be yours as well, because you're going to be get put in front of the best possible candidates and even some that maybe you wouldn't have thought of either that could wind up being the perfect fit for your company. All you have to do is add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And they have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. You know, it's, it's, Towards the end of the year, you want to finish the year strong, especially if you're with a smaller company. And that's where you need to use LinkedIn jobs. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Gavin. I'll I'll throw it to you here. Give us give us the last concerning stat about RJ Barrett, and hopefully we could bury this conversation, and, and he'll completely light it up in this yeah. in this next game on Wednesday. Yeah, he's he's only in the 11th percentile in the entire NBA in points per shot attempt. So that that stat is I I think r- roughly the same as true shooting. Just uh, yeah, how many points e- each attempt you take generates. Um, and that, that's amongst players with at least 100 shot attempts. So it, it filters out uh, so the guys who come in and have taken two shots all year. So that, 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 is, that is very bad. Um, but to your point, because I, I, didn't, I didn't respond to this in the last segment, the fact that the two-point percentage is so good, the fact that he's finishing better at the rim, and I think we can both agree that he's just missed some gimmies this year. There's been a number of times where he's been in transition and there's been a player smaller than him back. And he'll try to Euro around the guy and I I think unnecessarily complicate a shot attempt when he can just go, I mean, to the point of those free throw attempts, like right into the guy's body and get to the line. And and I know sometimes you're doing that Euro to avoid a charge, but to me, the, the strength of his finishing this preseason was when he initiated contact and that just gave him much better timing and I think allowed him to use the glass and this, this, this is a conversation we've had going back to his rookie year. He tends to be a much more effective finisher off the glass than he does when he tries to use touch to finish. Um, I, I think for me, it's all about confidence and aggressiveness. Like that, that four-on-one fast break they had against the Bucks, where we didn't get to talk about this since, uh, since you weren't on that night, but where, where he took the little push shot, that was the encapsulation of all of it to me. Like he's, he's in his own head to the nth degree at this point, and he just needs to go hard to the rim generate contact, earn free throws, worst case scenario, but best case scenario, try and time it up with that contact where he can finish because we, we've seen some extremely complicated finishes from him. So that doesn't concern me that much. And honestly, to your point, just because of the type of three-point shots he's taken and we've seen him hit 40% when he was mostly a spot-up shooter, I'm a bit concerned about that. I, I think at times his shot looks really bad and looks like it's overthinking it and there's still a little bit too much variation in his form from shot to shot for me. But I think there's there's a 36% three-point shooter in there. He just he just needs – it's kind of what Tib said. He, he just has to keep taking them. So I, I'm not overly worried, but I am I'm, I'm a little worried. Um, anyways, Alex, let's, uh, let, let's keep it moving and let's touch on pace because we, we, we love to respect the board on this podcast. And, and the greatest emphasis of the board is that the New York Knicks play fast. And uh, much to our, our pleasant surprise, they have done a good job of that so far this season. 
Yeah, so I actually think we we each pulled a stat related to pace, and I think there's a sort of interesting juxtaposition there, and it almost sort of goes with what I want to touch on in the third segment too about turnovers. But uh, so I'll I'll just present my stat first, and you can present yours, and then we'll sort of talk about how those two sort of meld together because I think it's a little interesting. But so the two numbers that I have here are nineteen point one five and four point three. So 19.15 is the miles total traveled by the Knicks so far this year, which is second in the NBA. Uh, and the 4.3 is the average speed, which doesn't explicitly say, but I assume is miles per hour uh, of the Knicks so far this year. And that is good for fifth in the NBA. So I think it really speaks to the pace that they've been looking to play with. It speaks to the fact that these guys clearly put in conditioning work in the off season and are getting up and down the floor, not just on offense, but on defense, like their defensive speed and defensive distance traveled was almost equally as high as their offensive speed and offensive distance traveled, which is a positive to see. Uh, but like, I don't know. I, I think that that's going to be key for the Knicks. Like I think that we've seen so far this year. And, you know, again, this is another thing I'll touch on with, the turnover stat that I have towards the end of the show, but the Knicks this year, it's going to be all about maximizing what they have on the roster. If they want to reach their, you know, what our projections and a lot of our peers projections for them is, which is taking an incremental step forward, maybe finishing like two, three games above 500, something like that. They're going to need to really maximize every little thing that they can do as a team and the easiest low hanging fruit is just be faster, be more willing to run and be better shape than other teams. And so far it seems like they're there. We'll have to see how that holds up over the course of like, I think a good check-in for this stat would be maybe by like game 30, you know, check in and be like, okay, are they still at the top of the league in miles run? Are they still at the top of the league in miles per hour? you know, per game or whatever, are they still hovering at where they're at in pace? But I'll throw that to you for the the pace stack. Cause I actually think it's a little, it almost doesn't match up with like, I feel like the miles per hour and the distance that matches up with what my eyes have been seeing, but the, the possessions per game and pace doesn't quite match that to me. And I'm, I'm kind of curious if we could talk through why. Yeah. So I think, I think I can, or I can, I can make an attempt at translating that a little bit. So what, what you're referencing is despite being in the top two in, in miles per hour and total miles traveled, the Knicks are only 16th in the NBA in, in pace or, or total possessions per game. And I think part of that is um, one that I would, I think I'd slightly disagree with you that um, the defensive miles run is, is necessarily a good thing. And I, I know, I think you, you were referencing the context of like, they're getting back in transition, which I agree they're generally doing a better job of this year. And Julius Randle in particular, we've seen one or two times where he hasn't, but he is usually making an effort to run back. And he, he was the main culprit of that a year ago. And especially for, for a Knicks team that has some clear defensive liabilities. I talked about this a little bit against the Cavs. It's such a crucial factor for them that everyone runs back because this is a team that at least in the early going has a lot of trouble communicating on matchups and has very little defensive versatility in that it's easy for them to get into mismatches. Like if Jalen Brunson is on a wing, um, despite the fact that he's stocky and you can't really post him up like that, that can still be a really big problem just in the ch ch sense that those guys like the Dean Wades of the world can just shoot over him pretty easily, which makes it extra important. The Knicks get back on defense, but 
I think a lot of the reason that number is so high defensively is because the Knicks' point of attack defense is so bad and they're constantly having breakdowns, which means they're constantly in rotation and you have guys trying to scramble across the court to try and get to a shooter and to try and do a late closeout. And yeah, you love that effort and that's great and it's fantastic that they're trying so hard and they care so much, but in a best case scenario world, your point of attack defense is better and you have a Quentin Grimes out there that can stick with his man and then you don't need R.J. Barrett sprinting from one corner to the other corner to try and contest a three. You don't need Mitchell Robinson popping out from under the basket to the opposite wing to try and go after a three. So to me, that that's the differentiator there defensively. Offensively, the only thing I would say about that is I, I think they're moving well and they're they're playing with a real purpose in that like in that everyone is sprinting around the court. But I think the the tough thing there is that they're not getting a ton of outside of in fast breaks. They're not getting a lot of easy early shot clock baskets in the half court. And that's just because they don't have great offensive talent to the rest of the league. And, and they and they don't win one-on-one as easily as a lot of teams do. So even when they're playing quick in the half court, they still have longer possessions, which means even if they're running a lot, they're going to have less possessions per game relative to some other teams. Yeah, I was going to say that too. And even in even in fast break scenarios, I feel like they're a little more methodical mm. than most teams, which again, I have a... I, I think I'm actually going to switch the order of I was going to leave the stat for last, but I have a turnover stat that I want to get to in just a second that I think sort of undercuts that, that they're being they're being careful, which I think, you know, a lot of times teams that run high pace also have high turnovers. And so the Knicks are are getting out and running. But I do think that they're being in many ways smart about how they run and how they do that. So. Uh, I'll get into that stat in just a second here. I, I got a, a good stat about the the turnovers here coming up in just a second. All right, so we're back. And Gavin, I teased it right before we we went to break there, but uh, I have this turnover stat that I think is sort of like the bridge between the miles run and the pace and, and all that stuff. So 13.3%. That so far this year is the next turnover percentage, which is good for fifth in the NBA right now per cleaning the glass. Uh, Like I said, I think the margins are really thin for this team. Like they need to, they need to do the right things to maximize their skill sets if they want to be good. And because again, they don't have like that a one star that they could just lean on to do stuff for them. And they also need to take care of the ball. And that's been the biggest thing. And like, Honestly, the team that we, I think of most outside of that star power that 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 team had in Carmelo Anthony, but the team that I think this squad has most reminded us so far of early on in this year is the 12-13 Knicks in the sense that, you know, the way the ball's been moving, the way they've been jacking up threes and everything else. Another hallmark of that team back in the day was the fact that they did not turn the ball over. And that's been the case so far with this team too, which is just another thing that sort of makes me think about that 12, 13 team as it relates to this 22, 23 team. And so like fifth in the NBA in turnover percentage, they finished 14th and 12th uh, in the NBA in turnover percentage in the first two years under tips. So that actually is a pretty market improvement. I think, you know, to get up into that top five mark there. And I think, that could probably be attributed to Brunson, but can also definitely be attributed to Julius, who we've noted a bunch of times so far from preseason through the regular season is not turning the ball over nearly as much. Uh, 
And I, I just think that the Knicks in general, by pushing the pace and, and being smart in transition by the bench and others figuring, well, this isn't even just a bench thing anymore because Julius is doing this too, but by having that like streaking leak out guy that gets all the way to the rim, that creates less turnovers in transition, like less opportunities to, to flub it up there, but they're also being smart. And if that guy isn't there, they're not trying to force it other than maybe that pass of the year from quickly the other day that yeah. I almost thought was that, but you know, it's, it, I, I think they're doing a really good job of picking their spots, taking care of the ball. And I think that's going to be key to the Knicks throughout the rest of this year. If they want to continue kind of punching above their weight in a way and, and possibly finishing a few games over 500 by the end of the year. Yeah. Lo- love having a good streaking leak out guy. Uh, it's essential <laughs> to any, essential to any great team. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think, Part of it is that they're still fairly ISO heavy, but they're just getting higher quality ISOs where I, I know you, you and I were all over it last year. Like so many times we'd see Julius just try and bully his way into a double or triple team and either give up the ball or, or throw an ill-advised pass with barely any time left on a shot clock. And, and that would lead to a lot of turnovers in this year. Julius is being much quicker about attacking mismatches, which makes it much harder for double teams to come over. He's getting deeper into the paint. Uh, which again makes it harder to send a second or third defender because you're you're leaving a lot more room to cover to uh, recover to a shooter. Um, and Jalen Brunson is is just a machine um, getting to the basket, and he almost never turns it over in those situations. Uh, again, I, I maybe I'm just in an argumentative mood this morning. I, I would I wouldn't mind if the Knicks turnover rate went up a little bit because I think they do have to be a little bit more aggressive and, and a little bit more creative. And I, I think you see more turnovers off the bench. And it's because they are trying to swing the ball around and they are trying to make slightly more complicated passes. And, and to me, some of that's on RJ Barrett. Some of that's on Julius. Most of that is on Jalen Brunson because I, I think he's, he's used to playing a real slow it down, hyper, hyper efficient style. And I'm okay with him trading off a bit of efficiency, both in terms of his shooting and his passing. And to me, passing efficiency is just assists versus turnovers. That that's what efficiency is when you're passing the basketball. Um, he can trade some of that off for volume. I'd rather him be up to eight or nine assists per game, even if it means he's up to three or four turnovers per game. I'd rather him go down from 53% from the field to 48% from the field if he's scoring 26 points per game instead of uh, 20 points per game. I, I, I just I, I think given the Knicks' other options, uh, it's worth having a little bit of a trade-off there. But uh, my final stats um, were, were about a guy that I mentioned before. And it is Julius Randle. So I'm, I'm just going to go through a whole bunch because it, it, I couldn't keep it to just one because there, there, there's a bunch of interesting things going on with Julius Randle. Um, his usage is at its second, or, or excuse me, is at its lowest since his second season in the NBA. It's still 90th percentile in the league. So it's, it's, it's still pretty crazy, but that, that's a good sign. Again, that he's being a little bit more unselfish this year. Uh, we talked about points per shot attempt with RJ Barrett. Last season, Julius was in the sixth percentile in the whole NBA. This year is up to 31st. Still not great, but again, massive improvement. Um, this is a big one. His percentage from short mid-range. It was right around the 30th percentile in the NBA last year. This year, it's at the 67th percentile, and he's getting to that spot more often. So it's higher volume, and it's about twice as efficient as it was in the past. To me, that is that that is the defining stat of Julius' season so far. His finishing at the rim is also up. He hasn't made a single long mid-range shot all season, which is another area, if you're looking for the Knicks ISO scoring to improve, that could be a factor, but I don't mind that because to me, more than anything else, that indicates that he just hasn't taken a lot of them, and that, that is the main shot we've wanted him 
to eliminate from his diet. Um, last season, he was only 36th percentile overall for mid-range. This year is 44th percentile, which is not only um, better than last season, but it's actually better than that 2021 season where he made an All-NBA team. So I thought that is a fantastic sign for him. And the final stat that I mentioned is that he's only shooting 24% from three, which I noted earlier. I would expect that to regress to the mean. I think ultimately he's probably a 32, 33% three-point shooter. So all that stuff, Alex, adds up to a far more efficient Julius Randle than what we saw last season. Yeah, I think I think what it just comes down to between Julius and RJ is once the three start going in, things will get a lot better for both of them. Like I think that's that's been the main thing so far. Like Julius is doing everything right on the floor right now except for making open threes and he was splashing them during preseason so just like rj it's it's bizarre that he's not making a greater percentage of them right now given what we saw in the preseason from him like and it's not that teams are even closing out harder on him now now that it's regular season or the looks are different or he's reverting back to step backs whatever it he's been mostly taking you know, spot up threes so far this year, like most of the team has, you know, it's been sort of the team's identity so far this year is generate the, you know, generate the movement on the inside and then kick it out to shooters and get the ball swinging around the perimeter, which is what most successful NBA teams do at this point, uh, as far as generating three point shots, because, you know, it's great to have a guy like a, a Luca or a Harden or whoever that can, you know, create and take and make, step back threes and whatever, but it's not the, the thing that you should be hanging your hat on mm-hmm. as a team. That should be like your luxury rather than the thing that you rely on. A couple seasons ago, the Knicks definitely relied on that from Julius. Now they're generating nice spot up looks for him, for RJ, for Brunson, even, you know, for as great as Brunson has been as being like their go-to like step back guy this year so far, he's also had plenty of just like nice open, easy catch and shoot looks all in all. I I think my impression is like things should come around for the Knicks this year for Julius and for RJ and for the offense as a whole and the team as a whole. And that starting lineup that we said has, you know, been struggled a little bit so far. Ultimately, I think so many of these things that we just outlined come down to if RJ and Julius can just get back to shooting even their career average from three, let's say for Julius, like you said, that's like 33%. Let's say RJ can get up to like 36 or something like that. The team will be in great shape, I think, because that's the difference between, you know, probably another like eight to 10 points per game between the two of them. You know, if they just start making the amount that they normally make from three and the offense, I think we can both agree so far this year has been, I would say probably the best looking offense the Knicks have had under Tibbs just procedurally by a long shot. So, you know, I I think that's all it comes down to for me. Like I, I love what I'm seeing out of Julius RJ maybe needs to do a little more work on himself. And, and, you know, his, I think the defensive end has been a little more concerning for him than the offensive end, the offensive end, he just needs the shots to start falling. But both of them, I think the process has largely been pretty good this year, and they kind of just need the shots to start going in, and then things should look up for them and for the Knicks. Yeah, so rare rare positive note to end an episode of Locked on Knicks on. I, I won't ruin it. Uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, we'll be back uh, with the game recap, of course, um, on Wednesday. Uh, but before that, uh, very special guest tonight. So check out your feeds tomorrow. Um, but until next time, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks. Peace out.
spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirt styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.